0: Good morning, I'm not starting my timer yet, (laughs) go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 11 to 12, Uh, I won't read the text, brother Mike read the text already, Mike right, yes. I will pray, but before I pray, just a few things. My wife and I and children give you greetings from Puyallup, Washington. The church, Pilgrim Bible Church, is in Stillicum which is by the sound, but we live about 20 miles away in a small city called Puyallup. Angelo and all of his family, both in India and here, have been a blessing to Lisa and I in many different ways. and. Iron sharpens iron, as, as we all know. Uh, Angelo has always been uh, honest with me and sincere and a Christ-centered, loyal friend. So I praise the Lord for him. Let me pray, and then we'll get into the text. Lord, we do give you glory, and as we continue to worship you, Through your word, Lord, we pray that you'd give us clean hearts, that we could receive your word, and that we would receive it in humility. Use your word this morning, Lord, to build us up in Christ, to convict us, to challenge us, to comfort us, Lord. But above all, we pray that your spirit would work your word into our hearts that you might be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 11 to 12 Are you facing persecution? Scripture says all those that desire to live godly will face persecution. So either you have you are or you will face persecution. A few weeks ago, I preached the same sermon up in Washington, and after I preached it, I had a few conversations and two emails that said, Tom, you just preached on how to respond to persecution, but I'm not being persecuted. So I responded with that passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it's verse 12, that says, all that desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will face persecution. It's a type of a a promise, a prophetic promise that if you are resolute and making progress and living for Christ, then one way or another you'll be persecuted. Now, this persecution may not be like it is in the the 1040 window or like it is, for example, in India. I don't know if you know of this story in India about, I believe it was the, the stains. Graham, Stain and his son. He and his son were in, I believe it was north, northern India. And they were missionaries to a village. And he and his son were in a car, and they were confronted by many Hindus. And the Hindus encircled the car, and then they sat the car on fire. This is maybe 15 years ago. And the father and the son were burned alive in the car, and they tried to get out of the car, but the Hindus held the door shut somehow, I don't know, maybe sticks or poles or something as the car was in fire, and they burned alive in the car. It was a couple of weeks after that that the Indian News Service asked the wife, what's your response to this, to these Hindus killing your husband and son? And she said, I forgive them. I forgive the men that killed my husband and my son. Great testimony that we'll talk about later. So when we hear about that type of persecution, then we think, well, (laughs) I'm not being persecuted like that. And if you remember this passage that our our brother read, it talks about persecution. Chapter 1, verse 3 for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecution and affliction. This passage is about persecution, even at the end of verse 6. For God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give you relief to you who are afflicted. Back to that passage in 2 Timothy, those who want to live godly will be persecuted. But sometimes we think persecution has to be extreme, maybe being hit, uh, maybe being spit on. And we don't see that extreme of persecution to that degree widespread in the U.S., but persecution is increasing in the U.S., right? To different degrees, and it's going to probably get worse and, and worse and worse. But persecution can be different. I can remember after I came to Christ, my father would say to me, "Who he's passed away now, but he, my father would say to me, Tom, if you keep reading the Bible, you're going to commit suicide. Stop reading the Bible. That's a type of persecution. <laughs> or perhaps uh, you're a student, maybe you're in high school or something, and you share sure the Christ, you share sure about the Lord, and Verbally, people persecute you, mock you or make fun of you. Or You're a young woman or maybe an older woman and you have neighbors that don't know Christ and they all get together and they call all the other ladies to get together for tea or to go out, but yet they don't call you. They don't invite you because you stand for Christ. Well, that's also a type of persecution. Um, I have a friend that worked for a well-known museum and he became the director of the museum and at different times and places he would not in a rude way but an appropriate way he would share Christ and he went on vacation when he came back there was a woman that wanted his job especially because she was more liberal and he was a believer and long story but he ended up getting fired from his job. That was a type of persecution for Christ. So I say all this to say that when we look at this passage, verses 1 through 11, is about that these beloved believers in Thessalonians are, are being persecuted. One of the ways that the Lord deals with them to give them comfort is that one day, you can look at verses 7 through 10, that Jesus will come back. And glory and in power. And to all those that reject Christ and reject God, these persecutors, what will happen to them? What will the Lord do to them? He will send them to, to hell without Christ and without God forever. That is, persecution is unjust. Well, those that are unjustly persecute, they will be held accountable. They will receive justice forever and forever in hell, away from God and his power. That's verses 8 and 9. And then after that, you have this passage that we'll be looking at, verses 11 to 12. And so, as we look at this passage, then, this is the point that the main point we want to take home. The way the Lord wants you to respond when you're persecuted is to make the right priorities. Just like this lady, Mrs. Stain, When her husband and son were tragically murdered and and martyred, her response was, I forgive them. When people persecute us because of our faith in Christ, what is our response? I'm going to get them back? Or maybe in our heart we secretly long for something bad to happen to them? But this passage is going to direct us to God's priorities. This passage is Paul praying for them, for God to work in their life in a certain way, and so it shows us God's priorities for his people, especially in the midst of persecution. Let me just add this before we get in-depth into verses 11 and 12. Note that this passage really is about eschatology, right? Verses five through ten is about eschatology, about the Lord's return, and about hell and being away from God and his power. And the way that scripture prioritizes eschatology is not primarily or even necessarily saying, well, is it is it pre-tribulation? Is it mid-tribulation? Is it post-tribulation, and how many toes of the statue of the beast are in the water? But when you look at this passage, it's very practical. So the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, is seeking to comfort this church, and he's talking to these saints who are being persecuted about what doctrine? Well, eschatology, but what about eschatology? Hell, (laughs) verses 8 and 9. The Spirit of God is comforting believers, saying that this justice that you long for because you're being unjustly persecuted, it's going to come true and it'll be perfect and it will be forever. Based upon that then, look at verse 11. To this end, we also pray for you. Some versions might say with this in mind or for this reason, we pray for you. In other words, what God will do in the future leads Paul to do what? To pray. And that's what eschatology should do. God revealing to us the future times should drop us on our knees, so we pray for the Lord to do His will. Now, as we look at these two verses, and we look at these priorities that God wants us to have in our life, Again, the, there's there are different components of this prayer that the Lord is prioritizing for these believers that are being persecuted. And we find at least uh, four priorities in this passage that by God's grace we need to pursue and to see even in our own life. Now, the first priority is to have a resolute prayer life, to have a, a life that is consumed with prayer, And let me break this down two ways. That is to have a resolute prayer life. First, saturate yourself with prayer like the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul saturated his life with prayer. For these believers, for the church, the Apostle Paul was committed to pray. So Paul, knowing that the Lord will bring justice for those that are being persecuted, he prays for them. And the Apostle Paul was very intense for it. Look at verse 11. To this end also we pray for you always. And you can see this, of course, in all of Paul's epistles. When he's praying, it's hard, to, it's hard not to find a place where Paul says, just I pray, but there's often with it, I'm praying constantly. I'm praying always. So Paul's response, again, to this revealed eschatology, to what God will do in the future to the doctrine of justice and hell, what does Paul do? He prays. In fact, Paul labored and worked, perhaps in prayer more than in anything else. I remember one time, uh, my former pastor, one of my former pastors, these who's known for uh, John MacArthur, these. Japanese men came pastors and they talked for a while about preaching and then they asked John you spent I think they asked him how many hours a week do you spend in preparation I believe he said close to 40 almost 20 for each sermon and then they asked him, "How long do you spend in prayer?" And I, I don't think John ever gave the answer <laughs> but for me, that convicts me, not that I have to pray <laughs> in an even way with how much time I spend in preparation, but there is a meat of work that we need to have that's on our knees. And I think, just very briefly, you'll see this with even the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, I, I want us to notice how the Apostle Paul was so committed to prayer just by looking quickly at a survey of prayer and these two letters to the Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter one verse two: We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Chapter two verse thirteen. Again, I'm in First Thessalonians. For this re- chapter two verse thirteen, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you've heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Verse 13, he says he's constantly thanking God. There is this explicit prayer, but also this this attitude of prayer, this attitude of giving thanks that's throughout his, his epistles. Even the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 9 to 13, you also see more prayer from the Apostle Paul. As night, Verse 10, as night and day, we keep praying most earnestly. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you, and so that, verse 13, so the Apostle Paul here is is praying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, the Apostle Paul ends his epistle with prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame the coming of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is constantly praying even in this epistle of verse 25 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, brethren, pray for us. The Apostle Paul is an apostle that according to 2 Corinthians, that he went to heaven and experienced the glories of heaven for a very brief time, what a great apostle, but yet as great even as an apostle and as a preacher he was, perhaps he was even greater at prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Then we have this prayer that we see here that we're looking at, but also chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. There the Apostle Paul again is praying. Chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, we see even more prayer. This is what I pray for the church at Pilgrim and when I've prayed for Redeemer Bible Church and if I've when I'm praying for Angelo or or my wife, and maybe there's or my kids, and there's people that I don't know how to pray for, I'll pray 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the, may the Lord direct your heart into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. What a great prayer. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. May now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. And of course, you have an 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. So I do this very brief survey to say that whether it's free, spontaneous prayer, this Psalms chapter 5, the first three verses, David talks about, he gives a, a cry to the Lord in the morning, Lord, I, I, I need help. But also in those first three verses, he talks about giving a structured, ordered prayer, right? So sometimes our prayers are, Jesus help me. I, I really need your grace right now for this situation. And then the other times in life, you, you might have a little prayer book, you know, prayer request that, that you go through. You may do acts, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Maybe you do cats, confession, application, thanksgiving, supplication. However, you do it, our prayer, it needs to have a, a wonder to it and a seriousness to it. Serious, sincere, sweet, all of that should be part of our prayer. You have planned prayer here in the congregation, and then you have spontaneous prayer before church, after church, at home. This is modeled for us by the Apostle Paul, as well as through all the, the Psalms. The point is, how we respond to, to persecution is we, before we're persecuted, when we're being persecuted, after we are persecuted, we should be praying. And that will keep us from, from fear, from, from hate, from giving up. So saturate yourself with prayer. Now, together with that, start choosing now to pray when wronged. Start choosing now to pray when wronged to do right and to continue forward. So you start now, Lord, I'm going to choose now to pray that when I'm wronged, I'm going to do the right thing and then keep doing the right thing. I'm not going to allow, by your grace, Lord, don't allow me to be turned and my heart into a bitter person because I'm being persecuted. If we're not careful, if we're persecuted, we can become bitter and maybe quit praying. But rather, when we are persecuted, that is a, a time to battle forward, to fight on our knees in prayer. All of you, I think here, know Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace that we may find grace and mercy and help in the time of need. We find that in prayer. Before persecution, during persecution, after persecution, we must be at the throne of grace asking, Lord, give me your perfect grace during this time, Lord. I need you. And Second Corinthians 9, 8 can happen. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always have sufficiency of grace for every good deed. And it's prayer that is that sovereign ordained means of God pouring out His grace upon you. And, then, and I think in the Christian life, if we're not careful, uh, prayer becomes, as we know, something that's just attached on. Prayer can become something that is not part of the main substance in our life, especially with cell phones and, and and Facebook. And I've got spare time, Facebook time. Yes, that can be a huge temptation in my congregation. I'm not saying it's a temptation here, but I think in many places. If, The ease of electronics and Facebooks and and all that and and video games and and, and TVs and staying connected. I have to be connected. And the whole time, we're not that connected to the Lord. So I I say this not to club you. (laughs) I'm not saying don't use Facebook, boom, but rather. (laughs) If you want to be blessed by God, then especially during persecution, Certainly stay connected to people. But more importantly, stay connected to who? The Lord. Before, during, and after, on our knees through prayer. So that's the first priority, just being right with Christ and with God by being on our knees, going to the throne of grace. And again, this is what the Apostle Paul does here in this passage for his church. He writes them the word of God, he gives them the word, and then he prays for them. Now, there's also a second priority, then, that's based upon this. That is, the Apostle Paul is praying we should model that. He models that for us. We should pursue that. There's a second priority, and that's a Christ-like life. So our response to persecution, by God's grace, should be how do I respond to this persecution. I'm going to try to be even more like Jesus. I'm going to try to be even more like Jesus. Look at verse 11. To this end, also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. And I just want us briefly to look at these two words, calling and make worthy, that our God will count you worthy of your calling. You're familiar with this term, calling this effectual summons that God gives. Basically, you know, it's back to Romans chapter 8, this, this idea that God takes an a elect dead sinner and summons that elect dead sinner to life. And then this summons works inside that formerly dead sinner. Now it's a sinner that is alive and the Lord begins to and form that sinner with a new kind of powerful life for Christ. And then one day, he will give him a a glorified life with Christ in heaven. You're familiar with these terms, right? Uh, Justification, sanctification, right? glorified. And even reigning with Christ. This is this great calling that every saint, every believer is called to. Not only to be declared righteous, but by the power of the Spirit, to be presently conformed into the righteousness of Christ, and then one day to be perfected and to be glorified like Christ, and even to Scripture teaches to reign with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. That's it start at verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. And without getting super in-depth through all kinds of Scripture, the, the basic idea is that God... Whom he saves, he's going to keep saved and make that man or woman like Jesus. And it's not just to save them from the penalty of sin, but to save them from the power of sin, and then one day to save them from the presence of sin. And even Ephesians chapter 1, which I know you've gone through, teaches us that God actually wants us to be with him, right? Zephaniah says, the Lord sings over believers with his quiet love. So there is an effectual summons of the Trinity by which God secures those that He sets His love on. He secures them not just to be free from the penalty, not just free from the power of sin, but one day from the presence of sin. And even Revelation chapters 2 and 3 tells us to reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. And all of that can be part of this idea of your calling. Your calling. So God is calling you, believer, to experience that Ephesians 2.7 in order that this, the riches, the grace of His kindness you might experience from age to age. That's ultimately this glorious calling. Or you can think of it this way. Believer, your, your destiny is to be so mind-boggling, Rich, that Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg will look at your riches in heaven and they'll fall down on the ground and start kicking their legs and pounding their fists because they are actually dirt poor. They're dirt poor compared to the glorious destiny that every believer has in Jesus. And... This is what God is, has, and is, and will work for you. And so this is what Paul is getting at, to count you worthy of this great destiny that he has planned for you, that he's even working out right now for you. But he says in verse eleven that God would count you worthy. There there is no word count there in the Greek, in the Greek, or make you. It's just that God would worthy you, that God would worthy you of your calling. What is this idea of worthy? Well, again, I, I think you're familiar with this idea. You have it in Philippians one twenty-seven. That we would, God praise. I'm sorry, this uh, apostle Paul writes that the Philippians would walk worthy of their citizenship that they have in Christ. Or right, Ephesians chapter four verse one. Therefore, walk worthy of your calling. So I used to tell my congregation this. We want to be sure that in this world that we live in, that if people think that we are weird, it's not weird because we're weird. It's weird because of our humility and our faith and because we're like Jesus, right? Sometimes some believers can be weird because of their preferences we don't want people to look at us and man that person is really odd because maybe there weren't some kind of weird travesty you know on their head or or something like that and i say that to say that our life needs to be showing the value of who jesus christ is here in this passage, it needs to be showing our life does the significance, the value of this eternal destiny. And this word worthy was the idea of a balanced weight, it was a commercial word. So then, and even some now in some countries, if you were to buy something, you buy this big thing of meat and they might put rocks or pebbles or on weights on it. And so you'd put weights on here to try to get the right value of how much this mead or corn was. What is the fitting weight? And even the same word as used earlier in verse 3, we always ought to give thanks to you, brethren, as it is only fitting. This idea of worthy is the idea that our lives should fit together with that eternal destiny that we have with Christ. So then, think of it this way. Especially when you're being persecuted. Does your life show accurately the weight of your eternal destiny? So when you're being persecuted, whether it's somebody spits on you, kicks on you, I've... Most of mine are are in India. Uh, Muslims used to put cow manure on my scooter seat and a coconut in the exhaust pipe um, there's a guy in high school that used to prick me with a pen trying to get me to fight him when I was in high school most of the persecution though I face now is just people being rude I think um, but whether if you really desire to live godly in Jesus Christ you will be persecuted how do we respond to that here, the apostle Paul is praying that God would work in their life in such a way that how they would respond would show to the world what I have in Christ and God and heaven. That culture, that civilization, that world that is to come is, has much, 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 much more value than my life now. And so our response to persecution will show, really, what do we think about Jesus? What do we think about the next world that is to come? Do we think that we are citizens of this world, of this, this kingdom? Oh, thank you. And I, I haven't talked to Angela about this. We have to be careful because there can be a response, and I, I don't know any of you except for Angelo, there can be a response based upon who is the president, okay? So Republican, uh, Libertarian, Trump, um, Obama, um, maybe, maybe Trump will be uh, impeached and then it'll be Pence, and maybe Christians then are more happy, but there is a, a truth in scripture that it, it certain matter even if Ronald Reagan resurrected from the dead, your joy in Christ is the same. Because our leader, our ultimate leader, is one that has never sinned and is all glorious and is perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. And my destiny is incredibly, incredibly mind boggling. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those that love Him. And so, yes, you know, I can be sad about different things that are happening in the country and in the world, but even if I'm persecuted, there is this resolute direction I have even with my emotions because Jesus has won and He is winning and I'm going to be reigning with Him forever and forever. And that needs to be showcased in my life, how, how I respond. But there's also a a third priority that we see here in this passage. A third priority. And we'll spend a a little bit more time with this third priority. And you can see it here in your text to fill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So when we're persecuted, how do we respond? The Lord wants us to make right priorities. I should be praying. Resolutely a determined, fixed, growing prayer, and not necessarily in length in terms of the length of time, but sincerity of heart and commitment and brokenness in prayer. A second priority is a Christ-like life. That is how I respond to persecution is going to be showing that what I'm concerned about is Christ, and I'm concerned about His kingdom. That third priority is this. Blessing others even when I'm broke. Blessing others even when I am broke. And I think you see this here in this passage where it says, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. And so let me get into this. First, this involves... You choosing to be glad to do good. This is what I think the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, is, is praying to see happen in the lives of the Thessalonians at this church. When it says, to fill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with, with power. This involves at least choosing to be glad to do good. That is when you're persecuted, what the Lord wants you and I to have in our heart is you know I'm persecuted, it's my joy to do the best thing, the right thing, the the good thing, the biblical thing to be more and more like Jesus. That that is our heart's desire. There was an old Greek scholar named Lightfoot and he translated this phrase here, fulfill every desire for goodness. He translated this as uh, delight and well-doing. I believe if you have the ESV, it will say, and fulfill every resolve for goodness. It's similar to Psalm 102, serve the Lord with gladness. That's what the apostle Paul here is praying for that I would really want to choose to do good. Now, the question is, what is good? Maybe it was my own sinfulness, but the way that I used to understand this passage here, and I share this because I hope it will help us to understand, is I would almost claim in a type of claiming maybe theology, which I don't really believe in, but I I would look here and say, fulfill every desire for goodness. And some versions translate that a little bit differently. I would almost think of it in in, in this sense. Lord, it's a good thing for me to get married to Lisa Beatles. That is something that is good. So I'm going to believe that promise that you've made to me thank you, Jesus. That's how I understood this passage, and that's even how I had taught some others. Now that I've actually done the exegesis for this passage, I no longer teach that. But rather, I think what this passage is saying is that Apostle Paul is praying that God would chew, that God would give you the and we'll see in a moment, the faith and the power, that ability to, to, to gladly do good. And here, the good is not necessarily um, that this Lisa, this beautiful woman, is going to marry me. <laughs> that, that, that's awesomely good. But in context, it's not doubt, but it's that my desire for good my desire, in other words, to do good. It's not my desire for Lisa to do good to me, but rather my resolve to, go, to do good to others. So when I'm being persecuted and when I'm being hated, whether it's physically people are torturing me or whether it's people are verbally assaulting me, God wants me to be glad to do good to them. Which is what who did? Is what Jesus did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for the joy of the cross, right? For that joy of dying on the cross, for those that were his, he pursued it. I think this is the idea of this passage, of these words. That is, this is a prayer that God would help my desire to do good to others. To bless others. Even when I'm being persecuted, that is, I should have this heart, glad heart desire, Lord, I'm being persecuted by these evil people, whether it's to the church or to those that are persecuting me, I desire, Lord, to give some type of benefit, some type of help to them. Now, the question is, how can we do that? And Paul answers this, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. And it's possible that that and that's the Greek word chi. And it's possible that it could be translated fulfill every desire for goodness, even the work of faith with it with power. And you'll notice that the same verb is covering both these requests. Fulfill covers every desire and the work of faith with power. That is the apostle Paul then is praying. Lord, I pray for the Thessalonians that they would that you would fulfill this resolve they have to do good even when they're being harmed and that you would do that by their faith through their faith and that in a, in a powerful way what is faith? I, I like to think of it as uh, you're resting in the supremacy and sufficiency of, of Jesus you realize that Jesus is supreme and sufficient for your sin and you relinquish your your life to Him. That is a way to think of faith in Christ. Acknowledging acquiescence and adoring the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. You realize you can't save yourself, so you need Christ to save you. Even as a believer, without Christ, I can do nothing. So there is this throwing yourself upon Christ 24-7. And even I think this is, to a degree, Associated with 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, may the, Lord, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And I say associated with this in this sense. If I'm this faith that's mentioned here in verse 11, this faith, this work of faith, if I'm resting in the supremacy of Jesus, and I say the supremacy of Jesus because we're already Chapter 1, verse 1 has said the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 12 says, Our Lord Jesus. And then again, verse 12 says, Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus being supreme and sufficient, if I'm resting in him, if I'm relishing him and realizing all that he is for me, then that would include love. That is, I'm trusting God to love me through Christ the whole trinity, really, more than any person could ever love me. So I I don't need to be loved by other people. I have the love of God, but God not just demonstrated, but demonstrates his love toward me. Yeah, when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. So this faith that I'm talking about here, this work of faith, this resting and realizing and relinquishing to all that Christ is for me, when I do that, when you do that, that gives me the eyes to see and the heart to know and even to, to experience that the love of God in Christ, all the width, the depth, the heights of the love of God, that I can be satisfied and realize that I don't need people to, to love me. In order for me to do good, I don't need people to love me because the most important person in the universe has already loved me and has already given his life for me, a sinner, an undeserving sinner. The one that should not love me has loved me. The one that should not choose me, chose me. The one that shouldn't want me around him at all wants me around him forever. And it's not because I'm good, and it's not because I add anything to him. It's just because he's himself, love. God is love. And so I'm saying that this faith, this work of faith, When we are acquiescing, adoring, and acknowledging the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus, that helps us to see how much we are secured and loved by God, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And it's this faith, then, that breeds this work that it talks about. And and Paul talks about their hope and faith and their love and in each letter, even in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about their work of faith. Verse 3, constantly burn in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. They had love, and they had this steadfastness of hope, and they had this work of faith. And it was this, this faith, as it were, that had these, these roots deep down in Christ, which gave birth to this work. And even that would include seeking to be a a blessing to others even when they are broken. So a blessing to others even when you're broke. That is when you go through difficult times, especially if you're persecuted, you can be broken physically, emotionally. But the Lord, it's not God's will for us to go and, and hide in a cave. There are some people that I know of, a certain spectrum of Christianity, who want to go to Idaho or New Zealand to try to get away from the world and to have a Christian hut, to have a little Christian commune. That's not God's will. God's will is for us to be in the world. Well, not of the world, but until Christ comes back, we're in the world. And when we, when we are in the world, if we seek to be like Jesus, in some way, to some degree, you will be persecuted. How be to respond, to seek to be a, a blessing to the church and even to those people that, that persecute us? How can we do that? By faith. By faith, not that God's necessarily going to turn everything around and deliver me from persecution. He might. He might not. Not everybody in this room is a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You, you, you might face a fiery persecution. God might not... Deliver you from the persecution. He might not. How then do we respond? With faith. Now, you may say, yes, but um, Tom, my faith is teeny tiny. Teeny tiny faith. So is mine. Do you think your faith is as big as a mustard seed? How big is a mustard seed? How big is a mustard seed? Isn't it? It's like super small, right? That big? Is your faith that big? Then move a mountain. Christ says, if your faith is the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So my, truly, um, I would say, ask my wife. Don't ask her this. That that's rhetorical. You, you can ask my wife if I have a great faith. She'll say yes. Well, she'll probably say yes. yes. She's being kind to me, (laughs) okay? But I would say, you know, probably all of us have teeny faith, but that teeny faith, we can trust that God would give us all the love that we need from him to move on. Even the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, I'm not sufficient in and of myself. My sufficiency is of God. So in this life, we're all broken. You know 2 Corinthians 4, we're cracked clay pots. And so we are, Lord, I'm not sufficient for this. I, 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 I'm like Jonah. I don't really want to even see these people saved. Lord, Lord, forgive me. Empower me with your spirit. Move me by your word, Lord, to to love these people so even when I'm broken, I can be a blessing. And then finally, and we'll do this very quickly, there's a a fourth priority, and that is the the fame of Christ. The fame of Christ. So our priority is when we're persecuted. First priority is, Lord, I'm not going to drop off of my prayer. I'm going to drop on my knees and pray even more when I'm persecuted. And then secondly, Lord, this... Persecution is not going to have me be bitter, but rather when I'm persecuted, I'm going to battle to be even more Christ-like. And the idea of worthy here is not that God is going to make me, by how I live, worthy in terms of merit to merit heaven, but rather as as I'm persecuted, I'm going to respond with prayer and by God, by His grace, submit to Him. So this persecution isn't going to drive me away from Christ. It's going to make me more like Jesus. So the exact opposite of what Satan wanted is going to happen by God's grace. And the third priority is to seek to be a blessing even when I'm broken because my hope, my hope is not even in my own physical health. My, hope is, my ultimate hope is not in my family or my friends or my church. My hope is not in my pastor. My hope is in one person, Jesus And so even when everybody else, and even when I'm broken, I can still be a blessing. I can still choose to do good and to to be glad to do it. And then fourthly, the fame of Christ is the priority. Verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in you and you in him. And this is a little bit different than earlier when he talks about in verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. Here, what's emphasized is the name. And the name has the idea of the the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in me. There, There was one pastor that talked about this idea of glorification of Christ. And it's not the idea of a microscope that you take something that is small and you have to use this Electronic microscope to, to look at this small thing and make it large. But rather, the glory of Christ is like the, that star Betelgeuse. Have you heard of the star Betelgeuse? Anybody? The star Betelgeuse. No, it's, I don't know how many light years away. Millions of light years away. I, I have no idea, actually. But you could take, I think it is, five, at least 5,000 of our suns and put them inside the star Betelgeuse. That's really big. But yet, if you were to go out now, when it becomes night and you go out and you were to look up into the sky, you couldn't see it. You would have to use a telescope. But it's one of the biggest things there is that exists in this known universe. A telescope takes what is really, 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 really huge and helps us to see it for what it really is. In the same way, then, verse 12 is saying that Our priority in persecution should be to live in a certain way so that people see how large, how glorious, how big Jesus is. Uh, Leon Morris, a commentator, wrote this, The Thessalonians will be such a bright and shining testimony to the reality of their salvation that the Savior will be seen to be the wonderful being He really is. And then in that, we will be glorified in Him. That is, people will see the wonderful things that the Lord has done, even in our own life. Is that your priority, the, the fame of Jesus? That Jesus would be exalted and, and lifted up and magnified, if that is what controls your life, then when you're persecuted, you are going to pray. You are going to seek to be like Jesus. You are going to be a blessing. And so then people will see Jesus. And then when they see Jesus, it's not that they will worship you, but rather they will be amazed with Christ in you. Can you imagine this lady in, in India, Mrs. Stain, her husband and her son were martyred. They were murdered in a terrible, tragic way. And the Hindus full of spite and, and malice and, and hate and maybe even glee. And this lady, this woman said, I forgive them. Can you imagine that testimony? How wonderful Christ must then to those that the Lord has chosen to save out of those Hindus. Not only how the Lord has used that testimony Of this woman. And in that glorification of Christ, they see Christ in her, and she looks amazing. What kind of person is this that would forgive such a horrible thing? And Christ was exalted. This passage then gives us four priorities that we need to seek when we're persecuted. Again, the question then is, however, are you being persecuted? Again, it's not a, that somebody's kicking you. It's not that somebody is seeking to kill you. But have you ever been persecuted? Ever? The Bible says if you want to live godly for Jesus, if that's your desire, then there, there'll be some type of persecution. Persecution. We don't seek to be persecuted. (laughs) We don't want that. We want to please Jesus. And to please Jesus, we seek to have these kind of right priorities. And when we have these right priorities. Jesus is exalted and lifted up to be the wonderful Savior and Lord He really is. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray for... Those that are here that might not know Christ, Lord, we pray that you draw them to yourself. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your full atonement on the cross. We thank you for your resurrection. Lord, we thank you that now you even lead to intercede for us. Lord, we don't seek persecution. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like you and pray that when we're like you, we would be a blessing even if we're broken, Lord. We praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name, amen.